And now uh, tonight we're going to talk about Joshua. Joshua. So we're on, uh, we are on our sixth uh, key figure of the Bible. And I think we only have uh, like 11 weeks in this uh, little Grow You semester. And so somebody said, how do you pick the uh, 11 key people in the Bible? Like, aren't there more than that? <laughs> yeah, I think there's a few more than that. But we're just going to go with 11 and, and see what happens. And uh, then when we get to heaven, we can be like, did pastor pick the top 11 God? <laughs> Probably not. But uh, anyway, uh, so whenever we get to the book of Joshua, Joshua is a tremendous story. Tremendous story in that Moses led the people out of Egypt. 400 years of bondage, Moses led the people out of Egypt. They come to the Red Sea. Uh, you, you're familiar with the story that God parts the seas. They come walking across the, the Red Sea. They get into the wilderness, and then they spend 40 years in that wilderness. 40 years in the wilderness, Moses dies. God speaks to a man by the name of Joshua, who is actually Moses' servant, and he says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now I want you to lead these people into the place the land that I have promised them, and that land had a name. It was the, it was the land of Canaan. The Bible describes this land as a, as a fertile land, a fruitful land, a land that flows with milk and honey. It was a beautiful place uh, that God had designed for them to live. Going all the way back to Abraham, when he spoke to Abraham and he says, I have called you out. Leave the place that you are. I have a place for you. This is where God was talking about. So all of these years later, God is so faithful. Whenever God has a spot for you, God can and reserve that spot. When God says he's got a plan for your life, it, it does not matter what you do uh, along that path. It is still his plan, and it is still his place, and it is still his promise. And whenever whenever we understand that, God held this spot for all this time, and now Joshua is taking the people across the Jordan River, and he's taking them into this promised land. And uh, there's so many wonderful things that whenever we look at the life of Joshua uh, and the, the book of Joshua, I would just encourage, uh, encourage you, if you've never read the book of Joshua, it is a, it is a faith-building uh, book. Uh, it is a book of, of tremendous victories and some defeats in there. And when we look at the life of Joshua, we see that, uh, that Joshua, uh, Joshua died in the land of promise, but Joshua was born in the land of pain. Joshua was born in Egypt. He, he spent the first 20, roughly 20 years of his life in, in bondage, in oppression in Egypt. Uh, he, that's where he was raised. That's where he grew up. He was surrounded by fear and unbelief. And that was the environment, the atmosphere in which he was raised. He was, he was born into pain, but yet he died in the land of promise. And this is why I love the story of Joshua, because it screams to all of us that you don't have to die in the same place that you were born. Just because you were born there doesn't mean you have to die there. Just because that's where you used to be, that doesn't mean that's where you have to be. Just because you used to be depressed doesn't mean that you have to be depressed. Just because you were born into a home that was, uh, that was wrapped in fear, that doesn't mean that that's how you have to live in your own home today. Just because you were in a culture that was driven by anxiety and worry doesn't mean that that has to drive you today. Wherever you were born does not, and whatever you grew up in doesn't have to determine what you live in today. And that's why I love the book of Joshua. Because the book of Joshua says that you don't, let the, you don't have to allow your history to define your destiny. He says you can change. You were born in one place, but you're going to die in another. You were, you were born here, but you're going to live in the land of Canaan, the land that's flowing with milk and honey. 
And, uh, and I can tell you tonight that your, your story might have been, uh, it might have started in the misery of, of Egypt, but your story can end in the miracles of Canaan because God has a promised place for you. God has a promised place. And, and when, when, we, when we look in the book of Joshua, we, we see a land. It was, it was a physical land. It was a, it was a place of real estate. But the place that God has for you is a real state of mind and heart. When Jesus said, I have come that you might have abundant life, that is your promised land. God wants you to live in the land of abundance. He wants you to live in the land where you're overflowing with peace, overflowing with joy, overflowing with power, overflowing with purpose, overflowing with love. God wants you to live in the place of abundance. It is what Jesus came for, and it is what Jesus died for, for you to live in that land. That land is for you. That is your promised land. Your land is not is not marked out in a territory. There's no latitude and longitude on, on your land. Uh, there, there, there are no real estate markers on that land. You're not moving into a place. No, the place that God has for you, it, it is in here. It is the state of mind and heart that says, man, I am living Living above where I used to live, I am living in this abundant life that Jesus has for me. And so your life might have started in misery, but it can, it, but it can end in miracles. No matter where it started, it doesn't have to end there. And Joshua speaks to us. Uh, he speaks to us about the journey of life. Joshua speaks to us about the goodness and the faithfulness of God throughout the journey. 20 years in Egypt. 40 years wandering around in the wilderness before he ever steps into the promise of God. And, you know, we all want the breakthrough, but there are some things in life that you have to walk through in order to get your breakthrough. And that's what nobody wants to say amen about. Some things you have to walk through. There's some things you just have to pray through. And we all want the breakthrough. We all want the breakthrough. But God says, no, I want you to, I want you to walk through to your breakthrough. I want you to pray through to your breakthrough. Everybody wants to go from the wilderness into Canaan. Everybody wants to move from who they used to be to who God called them to be. We all want to move there. We want to move there like now. We all want that just to happen. But here we see Joshua. Joshua didn't just happen to get the call. Joshua didn't just happen to get lucky. God, Joshua didn't just happen to be the one that God said, any, many, many, mo, to, you know, whatever, tiger by his toe, whatever, and make him pay. You know, okay, you. All right, we're going to choose you, Joshua. No, 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 no. That's not how it happened at all. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 33, it says, when the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, this would be the tent of meeting. This was a place where Moses would go and speak with God. It says that the people would, would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Moses would, would leave, leave the camp and he would go out. There was a tent that was set up outside of the camp and whenever the cloud would move over that tent, that was Moses' sign. Okay, God has something to say to me. And Moses would walk out there to the tent and whenever Moses would walk out and go into the tent and he would meet with God and God would speak to him face to face as a friend would speak to his friend. Joshua, his servant, his assistant, he would go out there with him and would stand at the edge of the tent and whenever Moses went back into the camp, Joshua would slip right in there into the tent of meeting. While everybody else was bowing down in front of their own tents in, in reverence or whatever they were doing in, the, in the, the tent of meeting way out there, Joshua wasn't satisfied with that. 
Joshua wasn't going to hang in the camp while God was meeting with Moses outside the tent. He said, I'm coming with you. I'm going to walk out there with you, and I'm going to stand outside the tent while you meet with God, and God can say whatever he wants to say to you, and you can walk back into the camp, but I'm going to get the leftovers. I'm going to slide on into the tent, and I'm going to just, I'm just going to sit in the presence of God, and I'm going to be in his presence, and I'm going to, I'm going to take this opportunity, I'm going to take this moment, and I, I don't want to stay where everybody else is. I want to separate myself from everybody else because I want to be in the presence of God. Joshua teaches us the importance of worshiping God in the midst of the wilderness. Joshua teaches us the importance of how to, how to learn to worship where we are, how to learn to worship right now. You don't have to be in the picture-perfect environment to worship. Things don't have to be going well in your life for you to worship. You don't have to be having a good day in order to worship. You don't have to be working at the jobs of your dream in order to worship. No, you can worship right in the wilderness, right there in the middle of the desert, and you can still worship. That's where Joshua was worshiping. He was worshiping in the wilderness. They weren't in the promised land. They weren't eating the fruit of the land. They weren't in the land of milk and honey. No, they were out in the wilderness. But Joshua said, I'm not going to allow this to keep me from worshiping. And so many times we let where we are in our, in our family, where we are in our work, where we are in our mind, we let that keep us from worshiping. But Joshua says, don't let anything keep you from worshiping even if nobody else wants to go out there and worship with you, even if nobody else wants to come along for the journey. Nobody has to join you to worship. You don't have to wait till Wednesday night to worship. You don't have to wait till Sunday morning to worship. You can worship right there where you are, in your car, in your bedroom, in your shower. You can worship right there where you are. Don't wait for anybody else. You just worship where you are. That's what Joshua teaches us. That you can worship in your pain. You can worship in your disappointment. You can worship in your discouragement. You can worship in your confusion. You can worship in your frustration because worship is never about where you are. It's always about who he is. And where you are is always going to change. But can I tell you who he is is never going to change? That's why worship is always acceptable because he's always worthy and he's always holy and he's always awesome, and he's always ready to be worshipped. So don't let where you are dictate if you're going to worship or not. No, 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 no. Worship wherever you are. Worship right now. It is in God's presence that prepares you to see and receive the promise that he has for you. It is in his presence. That's why the enemy is always trying to keep you out of his presence. Always, because it's in his presence that he opens your eyes to see and he prepares your heart to receive what God wants to give you. You see, maybe you're waiting for God to move in a predicament. Maybe you're waiting for God to, to, to move in your situation, but maybe God is waiting for you to move into his presence. There was, there was no coincidence why God picked Joshua. There was only one person in the story that was Moses' assistant. There was only one person that was out there at the tent meeting. There was only one person slipping into the tent whenever Moses was done. So when it got time for God to pick who was going to take the person, he said, I'm going to take the person that's been in my presence. So that, that's why the enemy doesn't want you in God's presence. Because once you get in God's presence, then you can step into his promise. When you get into his presence, you can see what God wants to do, and you're ready to receive what God wants to give you. And so the enemy is always trying to keep you out of, of his presence. You know, you can, you can start to pray in your car, and I'm going to tell you something. Some, some, somebody's just going to pull right out in front of you. 
right when you started praying. You're going to have a real spiritual moment, you know, at your house, and you sit down at your, at your kitchen table, and, I mean, you got your Bible out, and you're ready. I mean, you're ready just to engage God, and every next thing you know, you, you, you knock your coffee cup over. It just, it, it, just ruined you. it just ruined everything right there. The Holy Spirit left with the spilled coffee. Gone. See you later. I mean, you're about to have a, 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 spiritual, a spiritual moment getting in God's presence, and the enemy doesn't want you to get there because whenever you get in the presence of God, things begin to happen. The enemy doesn't want you in the presence because he knows the presence of God will do for you what it did for Joshua. It will prepare you to lead people into their promised land. Before we can move into his purpose and destiny for our lives and before we can move into his abundance and before we can move into his overflow, we must be willing to move into his presence. We have to be like Joshua. We have to be people who are ready to worship. I want to just give you these uh, three things tonight, uh, three things that that we have to do uh, as we move forward, three things that we have to do as we move forward. Because we we talk about this. This is a journey. And that's why I love Joshua, because it's it's a journey. They're they're journeying. He was in Egypt. He journeys out of Egypt. And now he's here in the wilderness for, for 40 years in the wilderness. And then he's journeying across the Jordan River, and he's pushing on into Canaan, into the, the, the promised land, the land that's flowing with milk and honey. It is a journey. And, and there are things that we have to do along this journey as we move forward. There are very important things that keep us on this journey of faith, that keep us flourishing and having success on this journey. Here's the first thing that we have to do as we move forward. Number one is we have to remember. We have to remember. How many of you, do anybody here have trouble remembering things? Anybody? I mean, have trouble just, you know, remembering where you put your keys, remembering what day you're supposed to go to the doctor. I mean, just remembering um, all all these things. Um, I know some of you are right now, like, your spouse didn't raise their hand, and you're upset right now because, you know, you're like, no, you should have been raising your hand. You can't ever find your wallet when you need your wallet. Uh, You know, and there's some of us that are just prepared, Um, you know, Carolina Lee, I think she was three years old, and uh, she was uh, she was staying over with uh, with Pastor Denny and Deonza, and uh, and so she was there um, at their house and Destiny's mom and dad, and uh, they were getting ready to leave, and uh, Carolina Lee had been there enough to know that um, although they are amazing, some of the most gifted, talented people in the world, they they have a tendency to be forgetful, and uh, and so Carolina Lee was three years old, and she told uh, she said pop. They were getting ready to leave. She said, you got your keys? He said, yeah, I got my keys. You got your glasses? Yeah, I got my glasses. You got your wallet? Yeah, I got my wallet. You got your phone? He said, yeah, I got my phone. She said, okay, we can go then. She's ready. She's ready. But, 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 but sometimes we are forgetful. And, and because we're forgetful, man, now, now we've got all these electronic alarms. You can set the alarm on your phone and reminders on your phone. And, 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 and those, are, those are just like electronic sticky notes. You know, you remember back in the day, it was just sticky notes everywhere, you know, trying to remind you of everything on the kitchen counter, on the refrigerator, sticky notes everywhere. And now if you, if you really have a trouble remembering, you're still with the sticky notes on the door and the electronic reminders, and you're still forgetting things. It's just the way that it goes. But why, why do we do that? Because it's so important. I mean, it's so easy to forget important things. It's so easy. It's so easy to forget important things. And because it is so easy for us to forget important things, and God knows who we are, God tries to help us out. 
he tries to help us remember what we need to remember. The Bible says in Joshua 4, verse 20, it says, It was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. So as they were crossing the Jordan, God, uh, God gave a command. Joshua gave the command to the people, everybody to pick up one stone. Every tribe picked up one stone. They brought that stone across there, and they put them down here at Gilgal. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future, your children will ask, What do these stones mean? Then you will tell them. This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. He had his people build a stone memorial as a reminder. Why? Because it is so important for us to remember all that God has done in our lives. He did this, the Bible says, he did this so that the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so we might fear the Lord forever, that we might revere him, that we might place priority on him, put him number one, worship and serve him with all the days of our life. You see, these stones would serve as a miracle monument. They would serve as a triumphant testimony. They would serve as a supernatural statue. When the Jordan River was overflowing its banks and it seemed impossible, the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant in to the water, and it is with God's mighty hand that he came down and he parted the water so that his people could cross over, and he says, when your children ask about the rocks, you will remember to tell them this story, but if you don't put the rocks there, then you'll forget the story yourself. The rocks spoke to the fact that we weren't always here. So you can forget where you came from. You can forget what it used to be. If you've been in church for 25 years and serving God, you can forget what it is to be 18 years old and lost. You can forget what it, you can forget what it's like not to be in church. You can forget what it's like not to have peace in your, in your mind and in your heart. You can forget. You can forget what it used to be like before you had God as the King and the Lord over your heart. You can forget what it is like. Uh, the, the, the fact now that we are forgiven and we are saved and our sins have been washed away and we don't have to carry guilt and shame and condemnation anymore because Jesus has set us free. We can forget what it is to live under guilt and shame and condemnation because we've been saved so long and walking with Jesus so long, but those rocks were a reminder that we weren't always here. We used to live over there on the other side. We used to be on the other side of the river, and it wasn't wasn't beautiful fruit on that side. No, no, we ate the same thing every morning. I'm grateful for it, but let me tell you what, after you eat manna for 40 years, I don't care how good the cinnamon roll is. You eat that cinnamon roll every day for 40 years. That's like going on a fast. 
You go on a fast and you're like, the first few, you know, whatever you're fasting, you know, if, you, if you're just eating vegetables, okay? I mean, I'm like, oh, man, I love vegetables. You know, I, oh, this is so good. And you think to yourself, man, I could live the rest of my life just eating these vegetables. Oh, I love vegetables. I love it. You get to like day 10 and you're like, if I ever see another vegetable again. <laughs> but but, but we, can, we can forget. We can forget that we weren't always here. We weren't always living in the strength of the Holy Spirit. We weren't always living in peace and in wisdom. We weren't always where we are. We used to live on the other side. We used to live in chaos, and we used to be ruled by dysfunction, and we used to be driven by fear. That's who we used to be, and those rocks you have to put in your life just to remind yourself and to remind your kids and remind your grandkids that we weren't always here. We were just ministering in, in, in Stockholm, Sweden, with Pastor Johannes uh, uh, Amritzer, and, and we were there with his people, and, and like 90% of his church is first-generation Christians. First generation. First time saved. Parents are not born again. If their parents are born again, it's because they led their parents to the Lord, not because they grew up in a Christian home. Destiny was telling her story of how the Duran family came into Christianity. Destiny's great-grandmother uh, was, uh, she was a bootlegger, uh, made, you know, alcohol illegally, sold it illegally. That's how she made her living. She was the mother of, I think, 13 or 14 children. Uh, she had two husbands die. Uh, they were living in absolute poverty down in, in, in South Louisiana. Uh, she lived on some land that had oil. She was swindled out of that land. They said, we're going to move you and your family by the land. She thought she was getting a great deal. She really got robbed. They moved them to Beaumont, Texas. Uh, she was a, a single mom, 13 children trying to raise those kids and uh, and and every every Saturday two little Pentecostal ladies would knock on her door invite her to church the next Sunday she tells the story that she said that, 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 that she would curse at them throw things at them turn the dogs loose on them I mean she's never going to go to church but then one day she went to the doctor and she found out she had cancer and the doctor just had given her just months to live it was very advanced and very aggressive and she went to this uh, to this meeting, and at this uh, uh, at this uh, the, well, there come the ladies. They come knocking. They come knocking on the door, and it was a little bit different this time because she had just got this report. And so uh, these these ladies come knock on the door, and they said, "We're having a, a special meeting. We're having a healing service." She said, "Hmm, okay." I'll go, I'll go to the healing service. It was a big tent meeting, and they had a big tent out in the field. And so she goes to the tent meeting, and, and they get to the end of the service, and nobody laid hands on her. Nobody prayed for her. She stepped where she was, where she was seen. She stepped out in the aisle, and the power of God hit her right there. She fell out under the power of the Spirit, began to speak in other tongues, and God completely healed her body. She lived another 40-something years from that day. God did an absolute miracle. That's how the Duran family came into faith. She was illiterate, couldn't read, but her Bible, they said, was just tattered. And they said, Grandma Latchley, what? You can't read. Why is your Bible so messed up? She said, I might not can read, but she said, I can sure beat the devil with it. They said she would go around her house swatting, swatting the devil, using it like a sword. But out of that came Pastor Rodney Durant. He was the, 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 the second to youngest child. Rodney Duran would 
spent his whole life in ministry, pastored Shreveport Community Church for 40 years, and now Pastor Denny has come under there. Pastor Denny has traveled the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and is now pastoring there for 20 years, 60 years of pastoring here in this city. And now uh, Destiny and her sister are traveling all over the world, speaking all over the world, pastoring uh, churches. And, and as Destiny was sharing the story, people in the audience there in Stockholm were, were weeping. Weeping uncontrollably. I, I didn't even understand. Pastor Johannes got up at the end and he starts crying so hard. And I mean, like, it's a great story and it's a wow, like, it's awesome. But I'm like, man, this is a, to me, it's like, this is a little bit much. Everybody's crying. He's crying, can't even talk. And he says, we can't even imagine four generations. We can't even imagine when you tell the story and we see you standing here, what we see is our great-granddaughter standing, preaching the gospel, giving their life for the kingdom. They say, we, we can't even imagine. We know what it's like to be your great-grandmother. We know what it's like to walk the hard road. We know what it's like to try to figure it all out. We know what it's like. And the one thing I can tell you is that the Duran family, they, they have built a stone altar. They have something to look back on and say, we weren't always in ministry. We weren't always living in the overflow of the Holy Spirit. No, we come from a background of a bootlegger. We come from poverty. We come from a place that, 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 that we aren't living in right now. And if you don't remember where you came from, you can't be grateful for where you are. That's why you got to, you got to, you got to, you got to build some rocks. You got to build a monument in your life so that you can remember where you came from. You have to remember that, that before you step into the land of promise, that you were, you were born in the land of pain. Before you were found, you were lost. Before you were whole, you were broken. We always have to remember where we came from. And if you want to keep moving forward and flourishing in this journey of faith, then you better remember how you got here. Because it wasn't your good looks and it wasn't your super intelligence. It wasn't your work ethic and your charming personality. It wasn't your spotless reputation or your superior talent. No, it was the fact that God made a way where there seemed to be no way. It was that he stepped into your impossible and made it possible. It was that God brought his superpower into your natural problem. It was God. It is God. It will always be God. You have to remember how we got where we are. And when you remember how you got here, that's what always helps you get there. And when you remember how I got here, it's what allows you to get to the next level, to take the next step along the journey, to move to the next place that God has for you. you, you and you don't just remember these things for memory's sake. No, you remember it for destiny's sake. You remember it because you've got a destiny and a purpose. It's not just, oh, wasn't that so cute and wasn't that so fun. They didn't build this stone monument so they would have a cool story to tell their children about what God did in the past. No, they built that stone monument so their kids would know how awesome and powerful God is. And if God did it back then for my grandmother and he did it back then for my grandfather, then God will come through for me again now the same way that he came through back then. It's because God has something for you in the future that's why you build the stones every time those Israelites saw those 12 stones they would be reminded of the power of God and they would be reminded of their commitment to serve him every time every time they would journey through Gilgal and they would see those 12 stones they would remember what God did for them 
and their commitment to serve him. You see, you, you, you've got to build a monument in your life. You have got to do something that causes you to remember. You have got to write it down in a journal. You have got to put something on your mantle. You have got to put a picture on your mirror. you got to put something in your card that reminds you you weren't always here, and you have to remember where you came from so you'll be grateful for where you are so that God can take you to where he wants you to be. Here, here's the second thing that we, we have to do uh, along this journey. Not only do we need to remember, but we need to remove. We need to remove. And this is a constant thing. We're, all, we're always remembering. This is not just a one-time thing where you remember. And not a one-time thing when you remove. This is what the Bible says in Joshua uh, 5. It says, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives, and he circumcised the Israelites. They, they were already on the other side of the Jordan. God had already parted the waters. They had already moved across. They were standing in the promised land, but there was still something that needed to be removed. And you see, you need to know that you never arrive at the fullness of Christianity. You never arrive in the fullness of everything that God created you. This will be a process until you die. There are things in your life today that need to be removed. The children of Israel, they have crossed the Jordan, and they're on the other side, and you would think, "Woo! what a time to celebrate now. Isn't this wonderful? Land flowing, milk and honey. They made it all the way. Go, team, go. Go, team, go. And God said, whoa, wait a minute. Now we, got, we got to remove some things before we move Forward and, and circumcision was the sign of God's covenant with his people going all the way back to Abraham. It it preceded the law and, and it went all the way back. And this was the identification of, of God's people and, and all the all the male Israelites that had been born while they were in the wilderness for 40 years had not been circumcised yet. And so God tells Joshua that in order for you to to move forward and possess this land and flourish in this land, then you have to remove what needs to be removed. And I don't have to tell you that that was a painful process. You know that was a painful process. But can I tell you, removing anything from your life is a painful process. Anything that's been attached to you for any length of time, it is a painful process. And the thing that will ultimately determine whether you conquer and dwell in the land and the place that God has for you typically won't be something that just pops up in your life. It will be something that has been attached to you for a long time. Let me say that again. If you're going to live at the level that God has called you to live at, if you're going to live at the level of abundance that Jesus wants you to live at, that he died for you to live at, if you are going to flourish in that land, that place, that, that state of mind and heart that God has, has prepared for you to live, if you are going to live there, the chances of you being kept out because something just popped up in your life, that's not going to be the case. Chances are the thing that's going to keep you from living in that place and flourishing in that place and accomplishing God's purpose and destiny for your life will be something that has been attached to you for a very long time. It'll be something that has been in your life that you've just made friends with. Now, it's not friendly and you don't like it, but you've made friends with it. You've made friends with it in terms of, I'm just going to have to deal with this for the rest of my life. This is always going to be a part of who I am. If there's one thing that gets on my nerves is when people tell me, well, that's just how I am. No, 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 no. No, you get to change that. 
You don't have to make the excuse, well, that's just who I am. That's just the way that I am. No, no, no. That's what Jesus died for so that that old man, that old flesh, there is such thing as a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's what Jesus came to do. And so we we can't make that excuse anymore. We can't say, well, that's just the way that I am because what we're saying is what what is attached to me is precious to me. What's attached to me has power over me. And God said, okay, you got to take that flint knife and you've got to remove, you've got to remove that thing off of their life. And I can tell you there are things that uh, get attached to our lives and we're trying to move to the next level of faith and we're trying to move to the next level of victory and we're trying to move to the next level of effectiveness and we're trying to move to the next level of joy and we're trying to move to the next level of forgiveness and we're trying to move to the next level of selflessness. We're trying to move to the next level and there's always something that has to be removed. Now you're living in the land. You're born again. Okay, you're, things are going well. You're not just living in, 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 in overt sin and rebellion. No, 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 no. You're living in the land. You're coming to church. You're reading your Bible, but there's still something that God's going to reveal to you. It needs to be removed. Something that God is always wanting to take out of our lives. And just last year, you know, last year, 2016, it was, uh, it was our year of discipleship. We define that as the process to progress. Everybody loves progress. Nobody likes process. Okay? I mean, they, they, they were about to love the progress that they were about to get as they came in and they conquered the land. But how many understood? Nobody liked the process of circumcision. But it was because obedience to the process that they got the progress. So we all want progress, but we don't, really, we don't really like the process. And so what it comes down to is that will you go through the process of pain in order to progress into your promise? Because there's something that God is asking for in your life. There's something that he wants. There, there's something that he's after. There's an insecurity that he's after. There's a fear that he's after. Uh, there's a habit that he's after. There's something that God's after, and God's saying, hey, I have this abundant life for you. I have this land. I want you to live in victory, and I want you to conquer, and I want you to flourish, and I want you to produce fruit, and I want you to live this life that is beyond your wildest dreams. This is the thing that I have for you, but God says, but I, there's something that I want before you get that. I want that habit you have of always telling those lies, and I know you say they're not real lies. They're like little white lies, and they really don't matter. But God says, but I want that. I want that. God says, I want that habit that you have to always gossip. I want that, I want that habit. Did you, you constantly have to talk about other people, and, and you know, you, you say, well, no, I'm just sharing it out of concern for my sister, concern for my brother. I'm just concerned. I'm just sharing it out. God says, no, 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 I define that as gossip, and that's what I want. I want you to remove that from your life. But that's been in my life since I was seven years old. I don't, I don't want to part ways, and God's saying it's going, it's going to be painful, but the process of pain is going to take you to the progress of the promise. God's saying, I want that anger. I want that anger. I, I know, I know what you you make excuses for. You say that your dad was this way, and this is this is the way it just has to be out there in your line of work, and it, it, it you know, and you just can't have boundaries and all these kind of things. And God says, No, that's what I want. I want that anger. I want that rage. I, I, I want that explosive. I want that. I, 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 you can't continue to have that and move into everything that I have. God says, I've got great things for you, but there's some things that I want to remove. There's some things that you have to be willing to give me so that you can progress into everything that God created us to have. 
And we see this in Hebrews 12. We, we see this very thing. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, and the perfecter of our faith. The sin that so easily entangles. When you get so entangled, if something has been entangled for such a long time, it'll start growing together. It'll start growing together, and then it becomes attached. And when it becomes attached, it is hard to remove. But let me tell you what, you have got to remove it in order to run. God says, there is a race that I have called you to run. There is a race that I have set before you, but you have got to make sure that you are that you are not entangled by the sin. You have got to remove that thing from your life so that you can run with the pace that God has created you to run with. And, and once again, I'm not talking about things that are going to keep you out of heaven. I'm just talking about things that will keep you out of your Canaan. I'm, I'm not talking about things uh, that will keep you out of eternal life. I'm talking about things that will keep you from living the abundant life. You need to know that. There's a difference. These, these things, you, you, you're going to heaven. Yes, Jesus died for you. Yes, you believe that he's Lord. He's Savior. Yes, you've been cleansed by the blood. Yes, you're in church on a Wednesday night. Absolutely. I'm talking about things that will keep you from living at the level of abundance that God created you to live at. Whatever the sin is, whatever that thing is, whatever that, that anger, that greed, that selfishness, whatever that thing is, we've got to remove it from our lives so that we can run the race that God has created us to run. So Joshua speaks to the fact that we've got to remove it. If we're going to progress in it, we've got to be willing to go through the pain of the process of removing those things. So, so we remember, we remove, and let's wrap up with this. We have to rely. <clears throat> we have to rely. Joshua 6 Verse 1 says, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in or out. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you're to march around seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When they hear the priests give one long blast of the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. See, Joshua teaches us what it is to rely on God. Not only what it is to remember about what God has done, not only what it is to remove what's there, but how to rely on God for what is in the future. The Bible says that the the gates of Jericho were, were tightly shut and no one was allowed to go in or out. They had locked the gates. There, there There was no plan that was going to get them into the city. But God spoke to Joshua, and he said, I have given you Jericho. I have given you its king, and I have given you its strong warriors. There are things in your life that your mama will tell you are impossible. There are things in your life that society will tell you will never happen. There are things in your life that the enemy will tell you, do not even try. Can I tell you tonight, what we take from Joshua is that we're not counting on our own skills. We we are relying on his spirit. We are relying on what God spoke in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. 
and he said this. He says, it's not by might and it's not by power, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. It's not by your might. It's not by your tenacity. It's not by your talent. It's not by your power. It's not by your endurance. It's not by anything that you have to offer. God says, if you are going to get to the place that I have called you to get, the only way you're going to get there is by my spirit. Joshua knew what it was to rely on the Lord because he had been in the presence of God back here in the wilderness. And while everybody else was playing cards and having a fun time over there. Joshua was just in the presence of God. While everybody else was doing their own thing, Joshua, no, he wasn't interested in that. He was in the presence of God. He was hanging out in the tent, spending time, worshiping, praising the Lord. When he got ready to move forward, he said, no, there's some things that we have to remove. we got to be obedient right now. There's some things that we can't ignore. There's some things that we can't overlook. Why? Because Jericho's waiting. We can't ignore these things right now because if we get to Jericho and we haven't removed what God asked us to remove, then when we get to Jericho, there's no way that we can have the success that we need to have. So we got to be obedient today to remove what God is asking us to remove. Why? So that when we get to Jericho, we can rely on him because we can't do that on our own. There's no strategy that's going to get you inside Jericho. There is no scheme of how to take the city. But God said, the city is yours. The king is yours. The strong warriors are yours. I am going to give them to you. And he says, all you got to do is walk around the city. That's the dumbest plan I've ever heard in my life. I mean, I would have been, been terrible. Joshua was a warrior. Joshua actually led God's people into battle in the wilderness. God was the one, Joshua was one of the commanders of God's army. Joshua was a fighter. You imagine Joshua having to go before the people. <clears throat> Men, let me have your attention. Are we gonna storm the gates? No, no. We're gonna, we're gonna fire the arrows over the wall. No, 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 no. We're just gonna march. We're going to march, okay? We're going to march for six days, once a day. On the seventh day, we're going to march, and we're going to blow that ram's horn. And the walls are going to come tumbling down. See, Joshua teaches us what it is to trust, but he also teaches us what it is to march. Because there's a lot of people that want to rely on the Lord as they just sit and wait on the Lord. God said, no, no, no. I, I want you to trust me to do it, but you're going to have to march. Oh, I'm going to come through, and that wall is going to come tumbling down, but you're going to have to walk. You, you, you're going to have to get in step with me, and you're going to have to put some action to it. You can't just sit and wait for me to do it. No, no, no. I want There's something I want you to do. You're going to participate in this miracle. And so I want you to rely on me, but I don't want you to sit and just wait. I want you to participate. I want you to work with me. I want you to march around this city. And we see this in this last verse of Scripture, and I'm going to close. Proverbs chapter 3. 
This is the amplified version. It says, trust in and rely confidently on the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own insight or understanding. In all your ways, know and acknowledge and recognize him. That means make your way his way. In all of your ways, understand his way, recognize his way, acknowledge his way. And he will make your path straight and smooth, removing obstacles that block your way. God makes paths smooth and straight for people who are on the move. God doesn't need to remove roadblocks for people that are sitting on the sideline. God doesn't need to make the pathway straight for people that aren't going anywhere. God doesn't need to smooth the path for people that aren't willing to march. No, he said, when you rely on me and you put your confidence in me, then what you're going to do is you're going to begin to march. And when you begin to march, I will make sure that I come down the same way that I did for Joshua, the same way that I brought those walls down. When you partner with me in faith and you begin to walk out faith and you begin to march in faith and you are trusting me, but you're also marching at the same time, then I'm going to make the path straight for you. I'm going to make it smooth for you. I'm going to remove the roadblocks from you. I will have the walls of Jericho fall down because there won't be any thing that will be able to keep you from the purpose and the plan that I have for your life. I will see to it that I make everything smooth and clear for you. And that's exactly what God did at Jericho. He said, the walls will be come tumbling down. And in Joshua chapter 6, he said, and you will go straight into the city. You will go straight into the city. The walls are going to come tumbling down and you're going to go straight in. What did God do? Made it smooth and straight. They just will went straight into the city. See, we have to rely on God to do what we can't do, not what we don't want to do. Hear me tonight. When we talk about Joshua relying on the Lord, the lesson we have to take away is that we have to rely on God to do what we can't do. There's nothing that they could do to cause those walls to come tumbling down. There's not, there is nothing that they could do. Only God could do that. God says, you got to walk. You say, well, I don't want to do that. That doesn't sound fun. That doesn't sound powerful. That doesn't even sound like a good idea. God, I'm... I'm not doing that. Well, when you don't do that, then the walls don't come tumbling down. Because you got to learn how to trust God and walk at the same time. And we can't rely on God to do what He expects us to be doing. God does what only he can do, and he expects you to do what you can do, and what you can do is walk around that city, and what you can do is blow that ram's horn, and what you can do is shout, and what you can do is praise, and what you can do is worship, and what you can do is pray, and what you can do is invite, and what you can do is serve, and what you can do is love, and what you can do is build bridges. What you can do, God's not going to do that for you, but when you do what you can do, then God does what only he can do, and the walls of Jericho come down and that's what it looks like when we rely on God 
Not us sitting on the sidelines saying, God, you got to win this game. It's us putting the gear on and stepping out onto the field and saying, God, I'm going to do my part and I'm going to rely on you to do what I cannot do for myself. There's never a moment in our journey that we will ever grow out of the reliance on God. Never a moment. Never a moment in your life where you don't need to remember where you came from. Never a moment that you don't need to remove something from your life that has attached itself to you. Never a moment. And there's never a moment that you ever grow out of relying on God because you'll never have it. I got this. That's a disease, you know. I got this. No, you don't. You don't got this. You got to know what it is to rely on the Lord every single day, every single week, continually to rely on the Lord throughout our entire lives. I want you to stand with me tonight. The lessons we learned from Joshua. This journey that he was on, it looks a lot like our journey in bondage, right? Egypt. Isn't that where we were all born? In bondage? I says that we were in bondage to sin. We were slaves to sin when we were born. You didn't get, you didn't pick that. Joshua didn't pick, he didn't pick being born in Egypt. That wasn't his choice. You didn't choose to be born into sin. We were born and we were born into sin. We were bondage to sin. That's where we were. Then he stepped out into the wilderness. We all know what it is to be like in the wilderness. Confused, frustrated, wandering around, hurting. Not knowing if we'd ever make it. Is this what life is really all about? All the questions come flooding in. Will I be stuck here forever? We know what the wilderness is like. In the Joshua moves on this is the journey of all of our lives Joshua says here's here's some keys on this journey you got to remember you got to remove and you got to rely and you got to keep doing them over and over and over again because it's the only way to flourish in this life that Christ has called us to live amen we bow your heads father God, I, I thank you that when we open up your word, God, there, 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 there's so much that you want to speak to us from the depth and the volume of, of your book. And Lord, I thank you that your word is alive. God, this is not just a history book that we read. These aren't just stories that we read according to the book of Hebrews that declares your word is alive, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword that it cuts us. Wow. It cuts us when we have forgotten to remember and it cuts us. Your word, the story of Joshua, the building of the 12 stones, it cuts us because we have a tendency to forget where we came from. We have a tendency to forget that we weren't always here. 
We weren't always righteous. We weren't always holy. And we weren't always Jesus followers. And we weren't always living in peace and joy and kindness. We weren't always living in wisdom. We weren't always here. This was not always our story. And your word, it cuts us and it pierces us. It says we have to remember. Your word cuts us. It says we've got to remove some things. Some things have crept into our lives. Some habits have crept into our lives. Some worry has crept into our lives. Some of the world's mentality has crept into our lives. Some fear has crept into our lives. Some harshness in our voice and in our tone has crept into our lives. Some selfishness has made its way into our heart. Some things from our childhood are still traveling with us throughout our journey. The book of Joshua says we've got to remove it before we can conquer Jericho, before before we get to live in the fullness of everything that he has for us, we've got to remove some things. God, your word, it cuts us tonight. It reminds us that we can't figure this thing out on our own. We have to rely on you. It's not by our might. It's not by our power. It's not by our experience or by the degrees that are hanging on our wall. It's by your spirit, Lord. And no matter what we try to do on our own, we can never cause the walls of Jericho to fall. God, only you can do that. But God, as we trust in you, we got to be people that are on the move. We have to be willing to march. you remove the roadblocks for the marchers you make the path straight for those who are willing to walk it out God your word is alive and it's cut us tonight and it's reminded us to remember it's reminded us to remove and it's reminded us to rely every head bowed and every eye closed nobody looking around this is just between you and your creator not you and your neighbor you say, Philip, I, I feel the word of God. It's, it's cutting me. That, that two-edged sword that Hebrews talks about, that word being alive, it has cut me. And tonight I'm reminded that I've got to remember. Or maybe you were reminded there's some things in you that, that have crept in there. You've got to remove it. You've got to cut it out. You've got to, move, you got, to, you got to remove it so you can move on. Or maybe you've started to rely on your own knowledge on your own experience, how long you've been here in church and the sermons that you've heard and you've stopped relying on his spirit and you say, tonight I'm reminded and the word has cut me and I've got to rely on him and his spirit and his power.